0: afternoon this is orchid I'll be co-chairing the meeting today this is orchid sasuni this is November uh, uh, 19th 2021 welcome everyone we'll go ahead and start with a roll call good afternoon so if the council members uh, present could um, brought broadcast to the channel and let us know that you're here um we will be broadcasting this live on sfgov TV and It is open captions and um, I will be we will be working um, with a a different format today with me signing the roll call and the information here before um, you also uh, bear with us as we work through some technical difficulties. This meeting is open captioned and sign language interpreted. The Mayor's Disability Council holds nine public meetings annually. They are generally held on the third Friday of the month. Please call the mayor's office on disability for further information or to request accommodations at this number 415 554 6789 that's for voice calls or you can email us at M O D at sfgov.org. Our next regular meeting will be on Friday, January 21st, 2022 in the coming year from 1 to 4 p.m. There will be no public meeting in December due to holiday season And details about the January meeting will be made available in December. We thank you for joining us. Iman, can you please give the roll call?
1: Okay, for roll call, um, Alex Madrid. Mm -hmm. Orchid Sasuni.
0: Hello, I'm here.
1: Present. Denise Senhow. Tiffany Yu. Present. Helen Smolinski. Present. Jashawn Lewis Wood.
2: Present. And there's an S at the end of my name Woods. Oh,
1: thank you. And Ananya Tandon Verma. Present. And that completes the roll
3: call.
0: Great. Now we have the reading and approval of the agenda. Iman, would you please read the agenda for today?
1: All right. So for the reading of the agenda, we have The first um, item is welcome and roll call. The second is an action item, which is the reading and approval of the agenda. The third item is public comment, um, which is a time for members of the public to address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not on the meeting of this agenda, uh, on the agenda of this meeting item four is the it's an information item it's the co-chair report item five is an information item about the housing needs assessment legislation and it's a presentation by rose johns from the disability and aging services and human services human services agency item six is the introduction of the new director of the department of disability and aging services kelly dearman Item seven is a break. Item eight is an information item, which is shared spaces implementation and enforcement. And it will be a presentation uh, by Monica Minowich from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Item nine is the report from the mayor's office on disability. Item 10 is the correspondence. Item 11 is general public comment. Item 12 is a discussion items for council member comments and announcements and item 13 is adjournment.
0: Wonderful Thank you Iman. Are there any council members who have any questions or comments about the agenda. If not, please say aye if you are approving the agenda for today. Aye. 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 Wonderful. The agenda is approved. Um, Iman, I believe the next part is for you to uh, make a statement. Would you begin?
1: Yes, so this takes us to the public, the first public comment portion, and we welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for public comment at the beginning and end of the meeting, as well as after specific items on MDC agendas. Each comment is limited to three minutes. If you want the council to respond to your comments following the meeting, please provide your contact information by email message to M-O-D at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request. If you are joining the zoom uh, webinar, you can make public comment during the public comment period by clicking on the raise hand feature um, and raising your hand and you will be recognized when it's your turn. You can also use the Q&A feature in the Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized, type into the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send. You can also type your comment into the Q&A box and the clerk will read it for you. If you're joining by phone, dial star nine when you want to be recognized. You will be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. We welcome suggestions about how to make the MDC meetings more accessible. Please send an email to mod@sfgov.org, And if you need assistance accessing the meeting, please call 415-919-9562 or send us an email. So at this time, members of the public may address the council and items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not on this meeting agenda. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. And so, if members of the public would like to make public comment, um, please do so, let us know now. And I do see that we have um, at least one person interested in making public comment at this time. Okay caller ending in one zero zero three you've been uh, permitted to unmute
4: hi
2: this is will railing for accessible San Francisco and I just wanted to bring something uh, to the council's uh, attention that's you know relatively minor but I think you know um, y- council handles such large important items like today's agenda that um it seems like sometimes you might be interested in hearing about something smaller that's happening and that is that uh this week it was announced that the city will fund uh 2.5 million dollars to hold a series of outdoor concerts in 2023 um i believe this new program is being called uh sf live and it's um being handled by the um, the Office of um, Economic and Workforce Development and that office is actually going to be deciding what the venues for this publicly funded concert program will be so uh, obviously uh, I'm sure we'd all agree it's very important that um, the venues that be selected are accessible and um, one of the possibilities that was mentioned is that city parks could serve uh, as some of the venues for this publicly funded concert program. And as many of you know, um, not all parks are fully accessible. That's actually okay. Under ADA title two, there's a transition plan to bring all parks eventually into full compliance, but it's not required, um, that all, all parks currently be, um, completely accessible Uh, obviously we all want to see that transition plan done work uh work done as soon as possible uh but but for now there are some parks that aren't accessible and are on the transition plan to be to be remedied so i i would like to suggest uh that uh, the venues that are picked for this 2.5 million dollar public concert program um, certainly any public ven- venues that are picked should be on the list from the list of uh, parks and programs that are already fully accessible and that um, to the extent the city has accessibility resources like the great staff of the Mayor's Office of Disability, I hope that there will be some form of review process to uh, make sure that all of these events are um, are accessible as um, you know, relevant to our later agenda item as well, you know, the ADA uh, 203 section 203.1 is quite clear that all temporary events temporary facilities uh, must be, you know, fully compliant. So um, thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to make this comment.
0: Okay, Next caller. Do we have any more public comments, Iman?
1: We have a comment that came in through the Q&A box, it's from an anonymous attendee, and I will read it, it says, what is the update on MDC members disclosing their affiliations with Golden Gate Park institutions, including but not limited to the de Young Museum and its volunteer programs and Access Advisory Board.
0: Okay, we don't have any comments on that at this point, um, Debbie. I will turn it over to you to um, address the most recent comment.
5: Um, hang
6: on just a second. I, I think the most appropriate thing is that the mayor's disability council meets next week in executive planning um, session. And we'll take up that issue at that meeting. And then we'll issue a response.
0: Wonderful. This is uh, Orchid again. Thanks Debbie for responding there, I know we're still working on this issue um, and it's not an easy one to um, address um, as far as a response in the situation and of course everybody would like to see that um, uh, responded to as quickly as possible, but um, we are still in discussion about that so I appreciate you uh, responding. Anything more
1: Iman? At this time, um, there are no other members of the public who have indicated they would like to make public comment.
0: Okay, great. Well, then um, the agenda, where are we at with the agenda right now, let's see. If, okay, coach a report, I believe is where we are at. Since the October meeting, there are three items to report on involving the MDC and MDC business. The first of which being the MDC sent the San Francisco MTA A letter regarding the bus service proposals for winter 2022. This is in support of restoring the pre pandemic route stops. That are closer to people's homes. The second point is MDC member. Helen Smolinski Represented MDC at a meeting with Supervisor Peskin, MTC, MOD, and disability NGOs regarding uh, e-scooters and the sidewalk safety for people with disabilities and senior citizens. The third point is Alex Madrid has a report on his participation of the IHSS Public Authority Board.
5: Thank you. Okay, so I just wanted to let the public know that I uh, went to a meeting at the city in Home Support Services Public Authority last week or two weeks ago and the board uh, discuss the audit and the audit is clean and there's no public um problem issue happening and i also want to report that state of california is requiring age um um workers are Fully, um, but ba- vaccinated, and I also want to uh, add that um, the board is planning to m- meet in person next year and have a plan on this goal for the board laws. Um with that, thank you and um uh, chair sushani. Um I'm finished my report. Thank you, Alex.
0: Uh for recon- for that, your recognition uh and your work on the board on the IHSS. Public Authority Board. So, um, with that, I think we'll start with the information item number five, which is housing needs assessment legislation. The presentation today will be by Rose Johns from the Disability and Aging Services and Human uh, Services Agency. After this presentation, we will be asking for comments and questions from council members and then for comments from the MOD staff. So please use the Q&A function for the public to see, to to participate in any uh, questions or comments and they will be read by the clerk at the appropriate time. Rose Johns, you have the floor.
3: Good afternoon. Thank you for having me today to give this presentation. My name is Rose Johns. I'm the director of planning for the San Francisco Human Services Agency. And I'm presenting today about two new reports related to affordable housing for older adults and people with disabilities. I want to also acknowledge Cindy Kaufman from the Department of Disability and Aging Services, Bryn Miller from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing who are here today um, and may chime in as we go along um, or in response to your questions. And I believe um, Lydia Ely from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development may also be joining us during the presentation. I'm going to share my screen and walk through some slides as I, as I talk. Give me just one second to get everything configured. Okay. Can I, um, get a thumbs up if I've, if if my slide is visible? Okay. Thank you. So in the presentation today, I'll be providing some background on these new reports. I will give some highlights from the recent 2021 overview report that we've published. And then I'll be sharing about what our plans are for the upcoming 2022 needs assessment project. So in I'm going to start with the background about these reports. In December 2020, the Board of Supervisors passed ordinance 26620 to establish two new reports focused on affordable housing for seniors and people with disabilities. The first is an overview report, which provides a snapshot of existing city funded affordable housing units that are occupied by seniors and people with disabilities, as well as units that are in the production pipeline. The second report is a larger needs assessment where we will be analyzing housing needs of seniors and people with disabilities. Also analyzing city housing programs and services and ultimately making recommendations to address unmet needs and support system coordination in affordable housing. The needs assessment is due for the first time in October, 2022, and then every third year thereafter. And that first report the overview report is due in every other every other year. So we've just published the first one, and that's what I'm going to be focusing on for most of my time with you today. A little more background before we dive into the numbers. Just about affordable housing. This report is focused on city funded affordable housing that's tracked by the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, MoCD. So what we're looking at here are 100% affordable housing sites, also some former public housing sites that have been converted through the Rental Assistance Demonstration Project. Within this portfolio actually is a portion, about half of the city's permanent supportive housing The small sites program is also included in this report, which is um, where the city actually purchases buildings, um, private market buildings and converts them to affordable housing. And then there's also some affordable housing units that are in mixed income developments included in this data. And just as a refresher, or in case people aren't familiar with affordable housing, affordable housing seeks to offer housing in which the occupant pays no more than 30% of their gross income for their housing cost. Within most of the city funded affordable housing, rental rates are based on a unit's designated affordability, not the occupant's actual income. And now I'm going to talk about some key highlights from the overview report. We start by looking at existing affordable housing. What's in MoCD's portfolio. There are about 22,600 affordable housing units in San Francisco and about 13,000 or 58% are currently occupied by older adults and people with disabilities. This is significantly more than the number of units that have special eligibility criteria that restrict occupancy to seniors and people with disabilities. About 7600 affordable housing units are limited so that only seniors or people with disabilities can live in them. The difference in these two numbers is going to be people who um, maybe moved in when they were younger and have aged in place or who accessed a general affordable housing unit through the Dahlia portal. We also note in the report that these numbers may be an undercount. The actual numbers of disability occupancy may be higher than are reflected and reported because housing property managers typically do not have access to the resident's disability status. Next in the report, we look at the future affordable housing, what's in the pipeline. There are about 6,500 units currently in development and 925 of these or 14% are designated for seniors and people with disabilities. Most of these are intended for senior occupants, 898 of those units I just mentioned. There are 27 units designated for people with disabilities, and these are specific for people with developmental disabilities. These units are located at the Kelsey project in the Civic Center area, or they will be when the project is done. One thing we want to remind folks is these are the only units for which future occupancy by seniors and people with disabilities is guaranteed. This does not necessarily represent the total number of future units that these populations will ultimately occupy um, because many of these units will be available generally for um, anyone to apply to through the Dahlia portal. Housing accessibility is an important part of this report, as I'm sure this council uh, appreciates. In this report, when we talk about accessible units, we're talking about units with mobility features, communications features, and also adaptable units that can be modified to accommodate the resident. And as we think about accessible units, it's important to remember these units are not reserved for people with disabilities, um, although MoCD does try to prioritize them for people with disabilities. Um, people with or without disabilities can live in an accessible unit. So, across the 22,600 affordable housing units in the city, slightly more than half, 56%, are identified as accessible in annual reporting. Newer sites, particularly those developed explicitly for the purpose of being affordable housing are more likely to be accessible. This is due to changes um, in state building codes in 2010 that instituted a 100% adaptability requirement. We also look at housing accessibility for units in the pipeline. And data that's currently available indicates that 52% of units and new construction projects will be accessible. We think this is an undercount, that this is um, really undercounting projects that are earlier in development and have not yet specified the communications and mobility breakdown and in, in what they intend to offer. By the time all of these projects come online, we should see that 100% of units are either accessible or have those adaptability features. We look separately at units um, in the rehabilitation uh, pipeline um, because those are different types of buildings and projects. We see that only 7% of these units at this point in time will offer accessible features. That's 85 units out of about 1,200 in development. This may be an undercount for the same reason I just spoke about, that some of these projects are still developing their plans as they're preparing for construction. Um, But it may also be that accessibility is is not feasible. Um, For example, in a small site purchase, where you may have a small four-unit building, it may not be possible to install an elevator, say, and make, make all of the units accessible. The last area that I want to talk about today is affordability. And we look at affordability in a couple ways in this report. The legislation requests that we look at monthly income in the context of rents charge and affordable housing. Looking at the census data, we see the median monthly income for a single adult with disability is about $1,200 a month. This income level represents about 16% of the area median income. The median monthly income for a single senior is about $2,200 a month. This represents 24% of the area median income. This means that for affordable housing to really be accessible, something that seniors and people with disabilities can access, we need to see housing that's priced at this designated affordability level. So adults with disabilities are gonna need units priced around 15 to 20% of the area median income to be able to afford affordable housing. Seniors will need units priced around 25% of the area median income to be able to afford the housing. The other way that we look at housing affordability in this report is at by looking at the portfolio and seeing what units are priced at what we see is that most affordable housing units are designated for affordability between the 30 to 50% area median income level. We also look at what the actual reported income is of the households the senior and disability households living in affordable housing. And we see that most of them report income below 20% of area median income. That suggests to us that these households are either very facing a very high rent burden. Meaning the affordable housing is not really affordable based on their income level. Or they may have an an additional subsidy that's lowering the amount that they have to pay. And that is actually that second, second piece is what we see. Most senior and disability occupied units have a rental subsidy through federal or local sources. So that 77% of senior occupied households and 91% of disability occupied units have a, have a rental subsidy. That may be a tenant based subsidy like a section eight voucher, or it may be a project or site-based subsidy, like a senior operating subsidy or um, funding through the old um, shelter Shelter plus care um, funding from the city. And the it's a really important distinction for us to think about a tenant-based or a, a site-based subsidy because a tenant-based subsidy is not necessarily going to be available for future occupants of that unit. It's only the site-based subsidy that's really going to remain there for future occupants, um, lowering the cost for future occupants who may move into that unit. And we also take a similar look at units in the pipeline. And we see that almost half of the senior units in development will be set at that same 30 to 50% area median income, or AMI, affordability level. For those 27 units, for people with developmental disabilities, the affordability has not yet been set. Next in my presentation, I'd like to transition to talk a little bit about the housing needs assessment that we're going to be working on this year. But happy to return at the end and answer questions on any part of this presentation. So with this needs assessment project we're undertaking this year, we have four main goals. We want to identify gaps between housing availability and population need, which we will do by analyzing city housing data and U.S. Census data and any other source of population data that's relevant for this project. Our second goal is to provide opportunity for community members and service providers to give input on affordable housing need. Our third goal is to develop recommendations to address unmet need and also to improve coordination of housing development and uh, service delivery. And then finally, this needs assessment also is an opportunity for us to collaborate closely with project partners across the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, the Mayor's Office on Disability, the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, and the Department of Planning. I will add to that, this experience we've had putting the first report together has already been very collaborative and we're feeling um, a lot of encouragement and excitement about continuing these partnerships in the next year. And then we wanted to provide a sense of timing for this needs assessment project. Our first phase is the project launch, running from October through January. We're developing the project plan, coordinating with other departments, working to procure some consultant services, and also uh, designing our analytical approach and starting to collect the data sets that we'll need. Our second phase is data collection and analysis, which will run from February through June 2022. This is when we'll actually be digging in and doing analysis of that population data and housing programs. And we'll also be undertaking community engagement and research with the help from a consultant that we're hoping to procure in the next few months. And then our final phase is drafting the report from July through September. We'll be wrapping up our research and developing recommendations gathering feedback from department partners and refreshing any new data that's come along since we started the process. The report is due by October 1st, 2022. That concludes our presentation. Happy to answer questions that you have. And in the slides, you'll see um, a link to where the 2021 overview report is located, and um, contact information from, for Izzy Clater um, from the Human Services Agency, who is uh, shepherding our uh, needs assessment process. I'm going to stop sharing
0: my screen right now. All right. Thank you, uh, Rose Johns. I believe Alex has, has his hand up. Alex?
5: Hey, Rose, thank you for coming to us and telling us what you have so far. So I have another question, which I can get to it, but I, I, but I have two questions or three questions for you. One is that can you tell us who decides who's um, getting a house and who doesn't because of um, a lot of... um people with disability is trying to get house. And as you mentioned, one of the issue is the income and the high rent demand in San Francisco. That's one. The second question is, um, is it true that People who are homeless are on the top of this list, and then people with disability and older adults can qualify. That's second question. And the last question I have is that. With this evaluation and analysis and study that you guys doing right now, are you guys looking into homeless shelters and seeing how it can be improved when some of the shelters places are not if I may, not accessible to all people who can be um, benefiting for those places. And if you need me to repeat my question, please do so. Thank
0: you, Alex. Those are all great questions. Rose, curious to hear your responses.
3: I agree, those are great questions. And I um, was trying to write them down, but we'll come back to you, Alex, if um, we need clarification or if I got any of them wrong. I think I saw Lydia from the mayor's office of housing and community development is with us. And I might actually ask her to chime in on your first question, Alex, which was, I believe who decides who gets affordable housing? What what I was getting there is you'd like information around the process for people to apply and understand how people are um, selected.
7: Hi there, Rose. Was that a question for me?
3: If you can, if you can take a first pass at it, Lydia, that would be great because I think it's a question just about.
7: No, I'm happy to, I'm just having a horrible um, internet connectivity day. So um, I'm gonna give it a try. And if I if I um, get bogged down, I'm gonna turn my camera off. So that is a great question. How do people access affordable housing um, in San Francisco? We have a, a single entry system called Dahlia, where all applicants can submit a single application and be informed um, as they come up. So all, all of our units are on this single entry system, um, with the exception of a few big categories. So a person who's homeless um, who needs supportive housing does not access housing through the Dahlia system. A person who's homeless uh, has to work with the coordinated entry system, which is an, uh, quite a sophisticated network of service providers, um, and and access points across the city. Um, and essentially, people are referred into housing by uh, some kind of social work social worker or professional. Um, the other system that is not included in the Dahlia system is the Section 8 and public housing system. The San Francisco Housing Authority has its own wait lists for public housing units and for Section 8 units. So unfortunately, if you're looking for housing, you may have to um, get on a few different lists. The Dahlia system is designed um, to prevent people from having to call 20 different buildings um, that may have openings. And it does work for both new units that are coming online and for existing units in our system that come vacant. So it is really the one-stop shop and I'm gonna put the link in the chat, assuming, yeah, I see I can use the chat, so I'll put that in. Now, if you're a person who is extremely low income you would indicate that on your DALIA application and you would only be referred for the units that you could afford. So in a typical affordable housing building, there are units for lots of different income levels. So the DALIA system would match your income to an available unit. Um, then the Dahlia system also applies preferences. There are several different preferences in the San Francisco Administrative Code. If you are a former, if you are, uh, own a certificate of preference, which is um, a preference that is granted to people who are displaced by redevelopment agency action in the 70s, then you have the top priority. Um, there's also a neighborhood preference. Um, for up to 40 percent of units in a building there's also a displaced tenant preference so people that were displaced by eviction or fire um so you know there are there are kind of different cascading priorities um within the dahlia system i hope that um answers your question thank you The second question that I heard from
3: you, Alex, is um, Is it true that people who are homeless are at the top of the list? And I think maybe you're wondering about um, prioritization and maybe certificates of preference, which Lydia was just addressing at the end there. I wonder, Lydia, if there's any more you'd like to add? Um,
7: so for Dahlia, homelessness is not a preference. As I said, if you're a person who's homeless and in a shelter or on the street, you do have to go through the coordinated entry system. Um, it's like really almost like a parallel system. Um, the housing authority has its own preferences for the public housing in section eight units. And there are homeless preferences in their preference system. I can't remember exactly what where those, they have a veteran's preference. I know that's like a federal requirement, Um, but I can look that up and put it in the chat in just a moment and and see um, what the status is of the homeless preference.
3: Thank you, Lydia. And then Alex, your third question was, are we looking at homeless shelters and how those can be improved because some are not accessible? And I would say um, that is a very important issue and a good question. The reports that we're working on here are really focused on affordable housing and not going into issues of um, homeless shelters. Uh, We do have Bryn Miller here, Bryn from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. I don't know if there's anything um,
4: you wanna chime in with here. Yes, hi Alex, thanks so much for the question. Um, Just to circle back to the coordinated entry process to your question on on housing, the coordinated entry process uses um, a system to place people into housing that does consider vulnerability when prioritizing people and due to this prioritization, the vast majority of people in our housing are people with disabilities, whether or not that's a criteria for placement in a site, our local policy is always to prioritize the people who are the most vulnerable. Now to address your question on shelter, um, older adults and people with disabilities are able to access any of our shelter programs and there are ADA beds at every site with a minimum of 5% of accessible beds, but as you noted that leaves up to 95% of beds that might not be accessible for everybody. I'm happy to follow up with with you later with more exact information since I don't have information about all of the resources available at my fingertips, but I do know that um, we are actively looking at applying the lessons that we learned from the shelter in place hotel program to other components in our system of care with expanded partnerships with DPH and IHSS. And I'd be happy to send you a follow-up email with more information about the ways that we're looking to make our shelter program more accessible for those with disabilities. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hello, this is Orchid here. I'm a council member on the MDC. And I wonder if there are any more comments that need to be added by any other um, council members or if anyone else is interested in um, commenting in any way. I see some other MDC council members here. Is there anyone else who would like to comment or have as a question? I see Tiffany Yu has her hand raised, Tiffany.
8: Hi, um, this is Tiffany Yu. Thank you again for the presentation. Um, I think the last time we had MOHCD present must have been February of 2019 um, around the Dahlia website. And so I was curious if you had disaggregated data around what people are labeling as an accessible unit, um, because I think that you know and I think this was from the last presentation it was it's up to the land lords to I guess provide that information so for them they may just say oh we have an elevator so it's accessible and of course disabilities aren't just mobility disabilities so I was just curious if you have that information broke broken out and disaggregated
7: Um, I can tell you that I, I, I am, I do not have that information right now, but I can probably loop back with my, uh, data team and, and get that for you. I mean, as you know, and this is where, uh, the question kind of dovetails with the work that Rose has led for us on, um, looking at the inventory of units that we currently have, um, that are labeled as accessible, um, you know, pretty much all the units we've developed in the last 10 years are 100% adaptable, at least for people with mobility-ish needs. Um, the, and there's also very specific requirements for, um, for, I'm blanking on the term and maybe Rose, you can help me with- The, the communications t- and the mobility units? Yes, mm-hmm. thank you, sorry about that. Um, so we do; those are requirements going in when the buildings are built, and we can be rest assured that those, um, the adaptable units, can be adapted. Um, every single unit can be. But you're right; when it comes from the consumer's perspective, somebody who's seeking housing, um, the landlord may be presenting the units in a different way. So let me let me um, get back to you. Um, and I don't know the best way to do that. I'll have to probably be next week to answer that question. But maybe you can send me your um, contact information for that.
8: Yeah, I think if you just want to send it to MOD at SFGov. Uh, but I guess I also just wanted to add that I know that airbnb was looking at a lot of their inventory and how to get hosts to um share what types of accessibility they had and i thought that the way they laid it out like the the bars in the in the bathroom you know or by the or is it a shower versus the tub um so i'm wondering if there's a way to kind of take some of the best practices for how they did it in terms of how we then end up relaying it over to landlords because Sometimes a landlord might not know. They may just say, oh, our door is wide enough for a wheelchair user and say that that's accessible. So um, so yeah, just some ideas. Thank you. Thank
5: you.
0: This is Orchid here. Are there any more council members who have com- comments or would like to ask a question at this time?
4: Denise, Helen? No, thank you, Orchid. Thank you, presenters.
0: Any other council members that have any questions or comments at this time? Okay, um, this is Councilmember Orchid Kasuni. Um, I have a comment. I have seen, well, in my personal experience, I have seen uh, in advocating for the deaf community, I've seen deaf people who've experienced homelessness and are a very vulnerable population. Um, Also those who have multiple um, health issues, including being HIV positive. Um, Sometimes people, even if, despite all of these uh, very uh, important needs that put them in a very high risk category, um, they can be on wait lists for Section 8 housing or other public housing for many, many years. Um, So if you're a senior citizen and you're on a public housing list for, you know that you've been waiting for housing, uh, for 20 years, it can be quite challenging. I know one individual who's, you know, been 18 years waiting, 16 years waiting, and so um, this presents a, no- a number of challenges. And the hardest part is that um, you, when you have someone who's deaf and blind, um, who's dealing with mobility issues, um, who can't um, get their, who's lost their housing uh, for whatever reason, but can't get back into. Um, you know, where they used to live. I think that we're looking at issues here in San Francisco, um, especially with uh, vulnerable populations with multiple needs. Um, And I understand the crisis of, you know, not having available units, but most places won't even provide interpreting services for um, application Uh, processes and um, being able to get on waiting lists. So it's just a massive amount of discrimination. The system is not set up to service these individuals um, and who are dealing with not only physical barriers, but health barriers, um, age restrictions, mobility issues, and also communication access. When you're asking simply to have an interpreter provided to be able to um, fill out paperwork, it really um, degrades morale. And, uh, several, you know, people have been pushed out onto the street, um, where of course they're dealing with mental health issues, sometimes addiction issues, sometimes other, uh, developmental de- delayed, uh, issues that present at this time, maybe they don't have the life skills that they need to possibly, um, uh, you know, get out of these situations. And really this just comes down to barriers related to communication access So I see individuals trying desperately to fight a system that's not set up for their success and working for 20 years, decades to do so, um, and trying to uh, help these people to maintain a positive outlook uh, when they are repeatedly proven that the system is not set up to support them is not easy. So um, I'd like to just raise this, um, uh, you know, when you're looking at, raise it to your attention. So when you're looking at, you know, income and people's housing and Section 8 uh, vouchers and so forth, um, really, I want to present a human story for you to see where those um, potential intersections of someone's experience uh, show up in creating a massive, um, massive gap in, uh, in support of services. And just wonder what your response to that would be.
3: Thank you for thank you for that comment. Uh, I think everything you're saying is absolutely and unfortunately true. And um, this is exactly the type of of comment and feedback and information that we're going to be looking to hear and tie in thread into the needs assessment project that we're working on this year. Um, And so this was not in the presentation, but I am hopeful that we'll have opportunity to partner with MDC on ensuring we're really hearing from people who are impacted and hearing comments like this as we are doing our community research um, this spring. That's what I can say um, on behalf of the department that's going to be pulling all of this information together um, at this time. I don't know, Lydia. If you want to share anything.
7: Um, well, I'm I'm right now um, in communication with my with my team to try to answer the question about the um, the the pr- prior question about how we um, make sure that the information on Dalia that's reported by landlords is is accurate. I mean, I think the the issue that you bring up um, is, I. Yeah, it's endemic to our system, and we need to all keep pushing our systems, pushing people like me and the people and the and the work that our department does to do better and to be more responsive. But we do um, rely on you and on the needs assessment process to get us that detail, and you know, hopefully, get us on the path to putting our heads together and making improvements where 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 we can. Um, But I I will take this back to my team. team. I think, um, I I imagine the issues that you bring up really are uh, present through the whole process and not, you know, at at the application process and then throughout screening and through placement and um, each of those places we need to be careful and responsible to to improve at every single step of those processes. Did you, I'm sorry, did you? um...
0: I did. Um, Just to add, just to comment to that regarding housing here in San Francisco, I've noticed um, two groups um, that are um, at risk, you know, senior citizens and also, um, you know, new housing, Just a moment for the interpreter. Rather, I've noticed two types of housing. So, um, single uh, room occupancy SROs um, uh, in specific buildings um, typically are not accessible um, for individuals. And then the other are some, sometimes the newer buildings that um, do have um, a big price difference. Um, uh, and look to income as far as um, providing um, available units, but when you have um, various barriers for access, um, it's very interesting to see the range of community that can be serviced for this, for these units, and also there is a massive underrepresentation of. marginalized individuals in the community. And I'm wondering about um, the database um, that's been kept on those underserved communities, underrepresented or marginalized communities. Um, So it is something to think about as you're going through your needs assessment in the coming year um, because it would be great to see the results, um, you know, point to those communities specifically, like those I've mentioned in uh, my previous uh, story uh, example.
3: Thank you, Orkut. I agree. Um, I agree. These are these are concepts. Um, these are these are populations. These are people that we want to be thinking about and incorporating into this project.
0: Okay, great, thank you. Um, So I think we'll go um, next to the MOD to ask for any public comments. Um, Rather, first to the MOD staff for um, any comments from the staff. I see Debbie's hand raised. You have the floor, Debbie. Thank you, Orchid.
6: um, so in this first year where you're looking at, um, what the data tells you before you go to the public engagement, I think there's one very, very big takeaway, and I just wanted to ask whether you see that as well. Um, and that is the discrepancy between the income of many, many people with disabilities and the requirements for income, um, for eligibility for housing. Um, What we know is that many people with disabilities who are not seniors are living on SSI. And SSI gives people a bare minimum amount of income upon which to try to survive um, and then forces people to live with very low income because they're not allowed to add to the income that they are getting from SSI. So I don't know that a lot of public engagement is needed for that big takeaway, which is we know a lot of younger people with disabilities live on SSI or SSTI or both, and the income limitations associated with those programs make them ineligible for housing. Um, And so I hope that that will somehow stand out already in what we're finding what we're looking at, that we're validating what people know from their own experiences and pointing out that the city needs to come up with a solution because we're probably not going to see the social security laws changed significantly in order to solve that problem.
3: Thanks, Debbie. Yeah, I do think that in the project, I, I I think let me actually pause before I go to the project. Yes, I, I don't think we need to do a lot of detailed analysis to know that affordable housing is is not affordable for people who are on SSI, given the absolutely sub the, the threshold that that is set at by by the fe, primarily by the federal and also state government. Um, I I also will say in this. Assessment project and the needs assessment. I think we will be diving deeper into the data to look at people at different income thresholds, um, and we will also be taking a, a closer dive or a deeper dive, taking a closer look into how subsidies are currently operating in the city to layer um, to layer and lower costs in affordable housing. So we can understand, um, so we can understand more about how that's functioning and what opportunities there may be there. I think MoCD has a, has a good grasp of that. But um, for this project, part of what we're doing is trying to put information together and put it forward so we can have a larger community understanding.
9: Uh,
6: I just hope that we don't get lost in the details when the big picture is just right there. Um, and yes, you know we do need to then figure out what solutions are available, um, but not get so lost in the details that we forget what's the problem we're trying to solve.
7: Could I um, jump in a little bit on that? Um, um, The voters approved $600 million for affordable housing in the fall of 2019 And when they did, they instructed us to build, you know, as many housing units as we could with those funds, but also to make sure that um, a third of them are affordable to people at 30% AMI, um, which is, you know, considerably lower than most of the units that we typically produce, but also higher than what a person on SSI is likely to earn in a year. So, I mean, I think the good news is because of that, we're being pushed as a department to um, get creative and find ways to target units in all of our buildings to people with lower incomes. And just recently, we got a $52 million grant from the state to allow us to do that uh, for in senior units. We're going to be... Um, subsidizing units down to 15 and 25 percent AMI um, in all of our senior buildings that are coming online over the next five years so now we have this great new tool Um, but it's it remains it's going to sadly remain true always I'm afraid that the SSI levels are just never um, without a subsidy like that or a section eight people on SSI um, are just really gonna struggle in in San Francisco um, where the market is so difficult. It's really, really difficult. So the pressure is on us to continue to to find ways to make these units affordable to the people who really need them the most. Thank
0: you. Okay, this is Orchid again. Council members, do we have any more comments from the staff? Anyone else that would like to comment or question at this time? This has been a great discussion, very important topics and points brought up. Mm -hmm. Okay, seeing none uh, from the staff, any questions or comments? I'm wondering, Iman, do we have any comments from the public or any questions?
1: So at this time, I don't see any public Uh, attendees indicating that they wanna make public comment. But as a reminder for the public, if you would like to make public comment, uh, you can uh, use the raise hand feature in the Zoom webinar platform. Uh, You can also use the Q&A box to indicate that you would like to make a comment um, or to type in your comment to be read by the clerk. And if you're calling in by phone, you can indicate that you would like to make a public comment by dialing
0: star nine. Okay, any public comments in general? Last last opportunity. Okay, wonderful presentation, Rose. And I'm wondering if you have any uh, last comments for us at this time? I think housing is a hot topic in general for San Franciscans. I wanna uh, applaud you for your hard work. It's a lot of moving uh, information and you're trying to capture as many people in uh, this net as you can. And of course, there are are gonna be ways that people are gonna be missed. So it's important that we raise those situations uh, for you to be aware of. And um, thank you again for your time.
3: Thank you so much for having us today and for this discussion. It's a great start.
7: Thank
0: you. Wonderful. Good luck with the project. Okay, now we're going to, um, let's see, our next topic will be number six, it's an information item. This is going to be an introduction of new department, uh, introducing a new director of the Department of Disability and Aging Services, Kelly Dearman. After this presentation is finished, um, we're gonna ask for comments or questions from the council members first. Um, Kelly, I'll I'll turn the floor over to you.
10: Great, Um, so uh, my name is Kelly Dearman. I'm very happy to meet you all. I am the new executive director of uh, Disability and Aging Services. I took over for Shireen McSpadden who is now the Director of um, Homelessness and Supportive Housing. I've been here for six months, so I am still learning um, and will be learning for some time. Um, And what I wanna tell you all is, before I took this position, I was um, the Director of the San Francisco In-Home Supportive Services Public Authority. So I have a fair amount of familiarity with, um, with DOS but of course I'm learning a lot. And I have been working in this space for um, seniors and people with disabilities for about 15 years. Um, and also you should know that um, I do try to work very closely with MOD I think our um, missions are very much aligned. I look forward to working with all of you and welcome any opportunities or ideas that you might have for DOS. So really, I just wanted to say hello, let you all know me, um, give you all a chance to get to know me. And if you have any questions for me, I am happy to answer them.
0: This is Orchid, Council Member Orchid here. Great. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your position. Any comments or uh, questions from uh, Council members? Alex?
5: Okay, again. i miss Michelle the PA. So I have a couple of questions for you. One is that I, I understand that um your department is so big and and you might you're still learning about each program under you. But I guess my my first question is, can you tell us your type three on type five? Priority uh, when it comes to um, your goals and your want to change for the department. And second is that um, I understand that in-home support services in San Francisco are still doing a, a phone or a Zoom um, check-in mm-hmm. for a consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any ideas or want to see my becoming a in, in the near future? Or do you think doing a phone interview or I believe tell me if I'm wrong that you guys cannot do Zoom interview yet because of um security reason. Um and so going forward I guess my question is do you think some of the people might be beneficial doing Zoom or a phone interview. Yes. Okay.
10: Thank you, Alex. And it's great to see you. Um and I too miss I miss the PA, so I'm really happy to see you. Um I will answer your second question first, and that is about doing phone or Zoom interviews um that, that are required um, each year. And In San Francisco, we believe that that is a real efficient way to to determine someone's status, especially for those whose status stays the same every year. It doesn't make sense for us to have to go out to their homes and disrupt them when we know we can do it on the phone. San Francisco has been advocating really hard for that, for for um, for this to stay, like we showed that we were able to do it during COVID, so we might as well keep doing it. Of course, for new people coming on board to IHSS, it makes sense to go out to their homes. But I think it relieves some of the pressure from the social workers if, for some portion of them, they can um, call them on the phone. So we are hoping that that stays. I don't believe we've gotten um, the final say from the state yet. So, although we're still doing it, but we haven't gotten the final say. In terms of my priorities, you know, the first thing is to continue to get us through COVID, right? And get us out of this state that we're in. And um, just today, I was visiting. Um, a Senior Day Treatment Center. And um, what we know is that it's still really hard around people gathering and when we can have congregate meals and so, because things change every day. So for me, a big priority is making sure that we're all getting through this um, pandemic and returning to some sort of normalcy um, so I'm, I'm focused a lot on that. Secondly, um, um, I think it was mentioned, but you know, we're in the process of doing the Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment, which will um, inform our plan for the next few years. It's really important to me that we are um, able to reach as many people as possible get the input of as many people as possible so that we know that the programs we are funding for and the programs we are doing are the ones that are most important. So that is happening now. You all probably received some information, but if not, I will make sure you do. That involves, there's a survey, there's gonna be virtual forums and there will be in-person forums. Also right hand in hand with that is how we look at equity, how we, um, so that, and we just, we finished a report a few months ago that really looked at how are we making sure that our services are reaching everyone. So I do wanna make sure in this next round that, um, that we're focusing on everyone and not just, you know, one group of people. We need to recognize that the African-American community, the Latin community, the LBGT community are not monolithic groups, that there are groups within those those groups and we need to focus on them and they need services too. Um, And then lastly, I would say one thing that's really important to me is, um, well, there's two things, obviously, We do not do housing. DOS does not do housing, but DOS does support, um, does a lot of supportive housing. So I'm really interested in seeing how we can collaborate with HSH, with MOHCD. Like, how can we do things better so that we're, so that, um, because we know that seniors and persons with people with disabilities are the ones. Um, who are becoming homeless fastest. So how do we, you know, what can we do together to um, help uplift our populations? And then lastly, I am personally and professionally very interested in um, um, intergenerational programming, intergenerational living. How can, we, how can we work and live and program more together? So I hope
5: that answers your question. Yes, okay. it does. Okay. And thank you so much for that you. And I think, and I'm sure, you know, I'm going to make sure and try to um, advocate that those I go pilot through and I believe you're going to do good on following through that, so I commend you and congratulations on your position. Thank you so much. Yes,
10: Orkin.
0: Yes, thank you so much for uh, um, your comments. Um, thank you. Um, before I turn this over to MDC staff we, uh, for the break, I want to see if there's any last questions or comments from the MDC staff and MOD staff. Any hand raised? No council members? Okay, looks like there's no more comments or questions. So um, are there any public questions or comments at this time?
1: This is Iman. Um, I do not see any members of the public who have indicated that they would like to make public comment at this time.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kelly, for your comments. Congratulations on your position. Looking forward to the projects you're going to be focusing on uh, going forward. It's now 221. We will be breaking for 15 minutes and so come back at 2.36 or 2.37 or so. We'll be uh, starting the meeting again. Great. Thank you so much.
3: TV San Francisco Government Television
0: Munovich or Manowich, the Interpreter's not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency (SFMTA). So, if you have any questions or comments, we're going to hold that until after the presentation is over, and then we will turn it over to the council members first. Monica, you have the floor.
11: Great. Good afternoon. Can you all hear me okay? Great. Okay, I will um, figure out here how to share my screen. Just one moment. Okay, can you all see my slide? Okay. I'll take that as okay, I can't see a ton of heads. But um, well, good afternoon. Um, Thank you so much for having me again. My name is Monica Minowich. I work at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, and I'm the shared spaces deputy program manager. We also have some other folks on the call today. Um, Maria de Alva from SF Planning, Fadi Corey, and Jessica Salami from Public Works who work in our compliance and um, inspection and on the ground team. So um, have other team members here to answer questions. Um, should they arise? Um, I'll get started um, on our presentation. I know um, it was a, has been quite a while since we were here presenting to you all. I think Robin Abad, the Shared Spaces Program Director, may have been in front of you all in April. A lot has happened since April. So have some exciting updates for you all. And here just to focus mostly on some of the topics here listed on the screen around um. The legislation for the program that was adopted this summer, sort of what is it? what does it say around the issues of accessibility and opportunity and accessibility? What does the process look like for enforcing and resolving accessibility issues within our shared spaces and complying by the rules? Um, and then a little bit of information on our um, program grants process. And then we'll take questions at the end. So, um, just a quick reminder sort of what the shared spaces legislation did, which is establish under one program umbrella um, the various uses of activating our sidewalks and streets and, and right of public right of way um, for various uses. So, um, this includes the sidewalk, the curbside lane, the full roadway on parcel. So, many different spaces that we activate for shared spaces and include commercial and non-commercial. So um, some of these programs existed before the pandemic like play streets, um, we had public parklets for sure. And just as the uses evolved over the pandemic, um, this co- the codification of the program um, brought these all under one umbrella and also um, establishes as our uh, part of our city's toolkit um, beyond the pandemic for years to come. So that's what the, the, was accomplished this summer at a high level with the legislation. Just to dig into a little bit more details around accessibility and design rules. We do have now more robust design parameters for the program as we've learned and evolved and established more um, aggressive and um, detailed requirements for, for the codified program that were perhaps looser on um, a year, a year and a half ago early in the pandemic when things were developing so rapidly. So we have this new manual um, and sort of in that process of evolving our parklets and shared spaces to, to kind of come up to, into compliance with that new manual. So what that looks like is that some elements are being enforced and required now um, with the codification of, of the program in the summer. So these are things around dis- disability access, emergency access for first responders, transit boarding, um, and intersection visibility and daylighting treatment. So all these are the type of things that we as a program are requiring and coming into compliance now. Some other elements will wait um, a couple more months into next year um, as we're still issuing, we're still in the pandemic clearly, have a long recovery. We're still issuing temporary program pandemic permits and so um, until July, which is the time we'll be issuing the um, the codified permanent program permits, that's a part was part of the legislation that that would wait until July of 2022. So some of those design requirements that are waiting until that time are things like three-foot setbacks at the end of the park but it's a fire department emergency requirement. Um, kind of bringing back some of our color curve um, Loading space. Um, we have a, a new two space cap for parklets. That's, some of our parklets are quite big. So that requirement wouldn't come into effect until next year and, and public benches as well is an, another big big change coming. So just um, not sure how familiar everyone is with all the details of the manual, the new manual, but just to kind of uh, with an understanding of that we're transitioning. Some things are now, some things have more time depending on the requirement and the, the sort of priority issues. So, What happens when we have an ADA, um, what's the process look like when a complaint comes about? So public works documents issues in the field when they're out inspecting sort of more proactively on a rolling basis. That's one major way that we identify issues. We also rely heavily on 311. So our complaint driven process um, to sort of document issues, get it in the queue. And then what happens is public works will get a request for action and they have to respond to that within three days. So a a public works inspector who, again, Fadi and Jessica are here today, um, will follow up within three days. And depending on the issue, either public works would would give a correction notice or a notice um, that would require 7, 14, 30 days, depending on on the, the issue. And then the progressive steps of discipline that the codified program and sort of and also kind of allows for us um, is at the high, at a high level correction notice and then a notice of violation, um, which could include fines and then ultimately permit revocation, which is the highest sort of form of um, compliance. If as we're working with businesses if um, they're not coming into compliance, that would be kind of an end potential. Um, way to go. So I know that was all high level. We can, we can happy to talk more about that in question and answer. Um, But just to move along, just wanted to also share here something we're really excited about, which is a new kind of approach and coordinated approach to compliance, which is this cover sheet. I have a sample here on the screen, which is all the departments, whether that's a fire department issue, an MTA, sort of site issue, a public works design or accessibility issue, all of that is would live in one place. So when we're communicating to businesses, um, it's, it's clear it has this template and format and they're not kind of given um, separate from different departments, look different, come from different people, have different timelines. So um, our city family team has been working really hard um, to improve this process and it's come a really long way um, and this is just kind of one reflection of that. Is this this new cover sheet approach? Um, so just wanted to um, show quickly, for example, what I mean by high priority. Kind of that that first that slide a couple slides ago around the things that are getting enforced now versus July. Here on the screen shows images of some of those high priority things that Public Works Fire MTA that we are on the ground have not stopped in inspecting and enforcing um, things like eight foot path of travel um, as required in the the design manual um, where possible, no no less than six feet, Um, the three foot gaps um, that's shown in the top middle there, um, that's really important for fire department ladder and um, responder visibility and access to emergencies. Obviously the address on the outside of a parklet required for ease of visibility and access for responders, Um, having equivalent accessible facility at each um, shared space permit. Um, Duck must be level with the sidewalk, reflective materials, setbacks from the curb. So just I know sometimes easier to see images, but these are a sort of a summary of things that are are the type of things our teams are are working to address as we speak to to bring into compliance. Um, Just to further show some of these, this one shows what I mean by visibility at the intersections of the top left, that's good. That's what we wanna see set back from the crosswalk. so, um, So that it's clear visibility of people of all ages and abilities walking in that space from a motor vehicle um, really important. You don't see that in those other images. You can see how difficult it can be for, for someone traveling to potentially see someone crossing the street. So this is a high-priority issue we're tackling. Um, and yeah, that, that's all I wanted to share just at a, at a higher level. So I'll just wrap up to talk a little bit more, something more positive than all these really hard nitty-gritty compliance and design requirements, which is that our equity grants, this wonderful program, we're um, in now our round two. Um, we had round one last, early last year. The summer started with our round two um, applications up to $2,500 um, to give to businesses that earn the grants for adjusting many of these requirements I spoke, just spoke to. So obviously it doesn't cover the whole bill, but really helps businesses um, get those financial resources specifically to um to come into compliance and these are all um um reimburse based. so you, you spend the money um you, you do the the work um you're required to comply you show receipts and, and you're able to get um, that reimbursement up to 2500 um so really wonderful to be able to implement that program um it is prioritized um, as applications come in by those hardest hit by the pandemic, um, data driven by existing public health, neighborhood information of vulnerable populations, those that have gotten hit hardest by the pandemic, established cultural districts, legacy businesses, businesses that earn less than $2.5 in gross receipts. So really takes a lot of this um, data we have available into account. Um, this map shows here some of that information that those, the, the boundaries, for example, for areas of vulnerability from public health, which is an established metric. So um, just a quick overview of some of the, what the grant program looks like, the timeline and, and the factors that go into um, that decision process. So with that, I will wrap up and thank you for your time this afternoon. I look forward to your discussion.
0: Wonderful. Um, this is Council Member Orchid here, and um, oops, just switching around here. Council Member Orchid, let me take my mask off. Sorry, um, Alex. I see your hand is raised.
5: Yes. Hi, hey, Monica. Um, I have a lot of questions, but I don't have a lot of time, but. My top couple of questions I have is that can you tell us about what, what you guys do or how do you guys implement if someone has a pilot on um an um high or low scope? of the hill, such as um, I saw, I see this uh, pilot in a um, uh, corner of 18th Street and church, and the pilot is not, I repeat, is not accessible. There is a steps. Leading to hotlines. So, how what what would you guys do when this happens if someone has a slope street? Do they abide by the rules, or I hope they don't have exception to the rules? And second is that with implementation and, and enforcement. I believe last time um, you guys uh, was here, you guys tell us this about eighteen uh, hundred complaints I, I haven't resolved at the time that you guys come, are those reduce or stay the same or how do you guys prioritize on implementation with that?
11: Thank you for that. Those really great questions to, to Tia Safa. I'll I'll start and then would love to probably pass it over to Vadi to expand upon my response so the first question around it sounds like this 18th and church parkwood or just parklets that are on a steep slope how do we handle that do they get exceptions no they Um, do not get an
5: and they're not accessible right so our our design manual is pretty clear
11: on this of how how do you handle when you're above a certain grade above i believe it's five percent grade um, you are required to have an accessible facility. I don't believe it has to be on the parklet itself, but I hope I'm not mistaken, that there could be an equivalent sidewalk sort of dining facility, but there are pretty clear parameters within our design manual about even at grades, sort of if you have maybe tiers, um, that's a lot, a pretty common thing on, on steep hills, that one of those tiers is made to be within the accessible requirements of... Um, the space and the access, the entrance, um, or if not within the park, but on, on the sidewalk. Um, so I definitely want Fadi to see these on the ground to expand upon that in more detail, um, what are how we handle that in the field. And then um, your second question, um, oh my gosh, or how do we prioritize um, when these come in? I don't unfortunately have the latest numbers. I know we did present them last time in April, um, and 311, our, our 311 folks are working on it as we speak. I wasn't able to get it before this meeting, but I believe it's in an upward trajectory. I think last time it was like around 70% of cases resolved. And I think it looks like it's closer to 80% resolved. Um, but I don't want to quote anything formally and we will happy to get back with those numbers, um, the latest, latest numbers um, when we have them. But Fadi, do you want to...
5: I want to follow up on that if I met Monica. it said, um, like for impl- enforcement, um, are there any situation businesses that you guys are terminated because they're not compliant at all or refuse?
11: So it sounds like have we actually revoked any permits that haven't come into compliance body? Do you want to answer that?
12: Uh, We have. uh, We have, but we continue to work with the businesses to comply. Uh, The uh, timeline we're given for ADA issues is 14 days for them to come in compliance. And the moment the business starts cooperating with us, we would not go back to uh, issue the fine, which we haven't done any fines yet. We started a new series of enforcement. Uh, For most places we visited already, we revisited and issued them one single bill of health in joining efforts with SFMTA and fire. So for us at Public Works, we include the ADA enforcement under our notices, and we'll give 14 days for those to come into compliance. Now, when it is uh, the parklet you mentioned, I haven't been there myself, but I know we have an open notice for them to come into compliance.
5: Thank you. Sure.
0: Hello, this is Council Member Orkitsasumi here. Um, are there any more Council members who'd like to discuss any uh, points, have any comments to make, or any questions? Anything to add? I myself have a, um, a small comment here. I've experienced a parklet um, uh, that was fantastic, actually, um, and it was great to eat outside. One thing that was Difficult as a deaf person was um, how packed it was. You weren't able to walk on the street, um, you know, to get a table. The chairs were quite, um, quite, uh, rather you couldn't walk through the eating area to get a table. You were kind of bumping into people who were sitting because of how squished the space was. And you really couldn't navigate the space very well. So I know that um, people are trying to make use of outdoor spaces, but we definitely need to think about accessibility there. And, um, you know, if you're not able to actually physically walk in a space, then that's that's an issue that needs to be looked at. Um, I mean, just getting through the tables and the way they have them set up, it was just too crowded. The tables were just almost on top of each other. Um, I wonder if you have any rules or uh, limitations on space and how that would work Um, because that has been a difficult situation to navigate and a bit confusing to me exactly what is appropriate um, space, you know, to use. If you have a tree, for example, that you're working around, you know, sometimes they'll set up a a table right next to the tree. And so um, I think we also need to think about safety in, uh, you know, as a pedestrian um, walking on sidewalks. And if you're having to navigate around a large crowd of people outside of business, you're walking into traffic sometimes or putting yourself in other uh, situations where it's risky. So I think that we just need to make sure, you know, uh, that we're looking at all of things, you know, thinking about um, uh, different um, streets, but especially Hayes Valley, some different streets and parts and neighborhoods of San Francisco are really tricky and they need to work on on um, um, how they're forcing people through small spaces. I think that's something that does need attention and um, should be commented on. Great. Um,
11: I'll quickly respond and definitely Fadi or Jessica or Maria, if there's anything you wanna expand upon, please jump in. But I that sounds like I wonder that very situation, I'm sorry, that doesn't sound like it's within compliance perhaps. Our design regulations around accessibility are, are pretty clear around the specific dimensions to avoid that very issue the eight feet on the sidewalk within the parklet, with the clearance space for entrance, for circumference and diameter around the table. So, these are all things around the park, specific parklet design and sidewalk setup to avoid that issue that it's not too dense. I, I guess you can't control the number of people, but the, the placement and the tables and all of that. So I do wonder if that situation is, in, again, in compliance with, with what's very clear and that all the diagrams within our design manual um, to avoid that very situation. But anyway, any of my colleagues have anything to expand upon that?
12: It's difficult to uh, uh, give you a one answer, but, uh, uh, definitely when we're out there at the time when people are uh, making the sidewalk narrower than the six feet minimum required, we do notify the business and we make sure they clear the space, but we're not at every location at all times.
0: Right. It's interesting because I think that, you know, the tables and chairs in some places are so Challenging. It's just difficult trying to navigate through the space, and um, and I think you know there's other issues uh, just walking through different areas. And I'm wondering where the cars will be going. And I think it's just something to consider as we're um, you know just trying to clear spaces and allowing for um, human traffic. You know, just walking uh, traffic to uh, get by into different different places and to pass through different places. So. Um, that's it for my comment. Um, is there any other MOD staff that would like to comment on anything? Iman, anyone from the M- NBC staff?
5: Okay, I have additional question for me. Oh, I didn't see you, Alex. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry um, about- I, have a, I have a question to you guys, to Monica and um, but I don't know that for indoor dining, services are requiring for COVID um, verification. Um, those are um include part too correct every door is outside um, outside dining. Right.
9: Uh,
12: was the question for me?
5: Um, is any of you or
11: Monica. Just to ju- just to clarify, so you're um, I may have missed. So you're asking if there's a certain use that is considered a parklet. Is it um, that's outside? Was it
5: sidewalk curb curbling? Sidewalk or whatever. Maybe my question was is verification of COVID, um, um, vaccination are required for those problems, it's even vaccine. though it's, it's outside.
11: Right. I don't believe so. That it sounds like is vaccination required for outside dining. I don't believe public health requirements are around that. So no, if someone is dining in our a shared space parklet um, that's outside or sidewalk, that that's the, one of the very benefits of being outside in the airflow. But just just required for indoor. And one
5: last comment or question to you guys would would. Enforcement, I would suggest going to businesses when it's rush hour or busy so that you guys can see how many people are in the education and how impacted those locations are and if they are complaining. That's my suggestion, and I'm sure you guys talk about that, and so again, thank you, and that's about it, all okay. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Alex. Yes, great question, Alex. Um, Are there any other council members or anyone else who would have a question at this time? If not, I'll turn it over to the MOD staff. Is there anyone who has any questions or comments at this time from the MOD NBC staff? Uh, I, oh, or John? Hi, John. Hey,
13: I just wanted to say uh, thank you, Monica and Fatty. I just, I know it was a lot of work putting that together. We, MOD has been involved in the granular uh, details. And so just uh, to just thank you for, you know, all the people who put in all the hard work for it because they really got everything down very accurate and hopefully covered everything. So, you know, try and make everybody happy. So thank you. Thank you.
0: Debbie? No questions at this time. Okay, so any other staff members, Iman, anyone else? John, anyone that would like to comment or have any questions? This is John Cost saying none at this time. Any members of the, any questions or comments? Um,
1: So at this time, there's at least one member of the public who's indicated that they would like to make public comment. And as a reminder for the public, you can make public comments by clicking on the raise hand feature um, so that you can be identified and you will be prompted when it's your turn. You can also make public comment by indicating that you would like to be recognized by typing into the Q&A box um, or by typing in your comment in the box to be read by the clerk. Additionally, if you're calling in by phone, you can indicate that you would like to make public comment by dialing star nine and you'll be prompted when it's your turn. And so the first uh, public commenter is Accessible San Francisco. You've been permitted to unmute.
2: Hello, my name is William Railing. I'm commenting on behalf of Accessible San Francisco. Accessible San Francisco is an unincorporated nonprofit association. Um, there's something, uh, I appreciate this report and update. It's. Uh, was, we were due for another one. Uh, thank you very much um, for bringing this today. And thank you for very much for your efforts to enforce accessibility in these public accommodations. Uh, there's something going on right now that I believe may require uh, this council to take uh, some urgent action. And so I don't know. Uh, as the staff has begun this enforcement process recently and Mr. Corey and others are out there in the trenches um issuing violations and that's necessary and important but even early in this process with just a few um um you know violations being pursued there's already a great deal of pushback. There have been several media reports within the last week with uh, businesses uh, scratching their heads saying we had no idea that we needed to do this, and this is unfair being given only 14 days, and can you please give us more time? Now, you know that might be something that is appropriate and allowable when you're dealing with some of these standards that were discussed today that... Uh, that aren't accessibility. They have to do with um, city's requirements. The city might be able to bend or delay its own requirements, but accessibility is a federal requirement, you know, and it's a state requirement under the California Building Code. And it's very important, I believe, that this council uh, in some manner communicate to the Board of Supervisors to stay the course on enforcement um, because there are... are There have already been supervisors responding to the uh, objections being received from the business, uh, from some members of the business community. Um, You know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, ADA uh, section 201.3, which is also in the California Building Code, requires that even temporary facilities must comply. These are temporary, these are public accommodations that have expanded with city help into the public right away. To the extent they're constructed, these platforms or dining sheds or parklets, They're occupied structures that require compliance with the California Building Code as well. And there is no applicable exception to not providing full accessibility to these structures. I do think there's a misunderstanding uh, regarding when having an accessible table on the sidewalk can replace having the parklet be accessible. So so I do think it's important to pull together and support what staff's doing now, but also look forward to the future to try to do better. Uh, Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for your comment. Are there any other comments from the public at this time?
1: I do not see any other comments from the public at this time.
0: Okay. Uh, So seeing no other public comments uh, at this time. I think uh, we will go over to, uh, I want to thank Monica and Fadi uh, for your wonderful presentation. Thank you for your comments in here for your work, for your progress. I think that, um, it's wonderful, um, what you've been doing. Of course, there's room for improvement and I know we'll continue to strive for that. Um, regardless of the size of the business, it, you know, it's important to, to support the small businesses. I know they're struggling a lot just trying to stay afloat, especially right now. So, um, I know that this will only lead to improvement for our everyone in everyone's lives uh, if we work together. So anyway, thank you so much for joining the conversation, for being present here today. Thank you for your time.
12: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. Wonderful. Um, just a moment. So just... Um, I have item number eight at this time, and I think that is the MOD, Mayor's Office on Disability. Um, Debbie, do you have any comments from the Mayor's Office on Disability? Actually, the
6: um, acting director in November is John Romatis, and John will be providing the report from MOD.
13: Oh, so we're on item nine, right? Okay. Well, thank you, Debbie, and good afternoon, uh, Co Chair Sasuni. Sorry,
0: we're on item number eight. This is Orchid again. Sorry. I believe we're on item number
9: eight.
0: The report from the Mayor's Office on Disability. Number oh. nine is general public comment. But if you'd like to proceed, John?
13: Oh, sure. No, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Co Chair Sasuni and Council members. Uh, My name is John Romaitis. I'm acting director of MOD, as um, Debbie indicated. I'm wearing a white shirt and a yellow tie, and my hair is black and combed back. And to the right side of my screen, you'll see my desk and papers and a red phone. And behind me is a bookcase with some uh, code books. So as some of you already know, around mid-October, Director Bond was in an accident involving an e-scooter. And I received a text from her yesterday and she's doing well and she's on the mend. um, And we're all wishing her a speedy recovery. So we're anticipating she'll be back soon. Um, Anyways, today I'll be presenting the Director's Report, uh, which will be available on MOD's website on Monday, November 22nd. Uh, The website address is www.sfgov.org forward slash M O D again, that's www.sfgov.org forward slash M O D and the report will be in the what's new section on the front page of the website. Uh, So the director's report uh, this month will be kind of, I'll try and make it quick. Um, I'm going to provide updates uh, and data on some of MOD's primary programs. Um, So uh, starting with architectural access, uh, for the month of October, our plan review staff approved six affordable housing projects, which uh, amounts to a total of 425 units. Uh, Of those units, 254 were adaptable units. Uh, 105 units have mobility features. 26 units have communication features and seven units uh, have combined mobility and communication features, which we don't often see, which is nice. And again, these were uh, plan reviews approved for October. On the inspection side, our inspection staff performed 35 inspections and closed out or finaled one project, uh, which was the Bernal Dwellings project, which was a rehabilitation of an existing facility uh, to meet current building codes. In our curb ramp program, which is ongoing, uh, for the current fiscal year 2022, So that would be starting July 1st of 2021 uh, up to November 1st of 2021. Uh, In that time period, 45 curb ramps were installed and we are expecting to reach or exceed our goal of 700 by the end of fiscal year 2022. So we're on uh, a good track with the curb ramp program. And MOD also receives complaints. So for the month of October, MOD received 32 complaints. And of those 32, 28 of them were responded to within 30 days, uh, though not all the response times were within MOD's control. And to kind of give you an overall picture, uh, 58% of the complaints we received were related to the public right of way. um, And uh, five of those public right of way uh, complaints were for encampments. Uh, I believe blocking the street, uh, blocking the sidewalk rather. And uh, so our capital project uh, program. So MOD manages multiple capital projects that are ongoing. And I'm pleased to announce that the renovation of Maxine Hall Health Center, which is located at 1301 Pierce, uh, is finally complete. Uh, the Mayor's Office on Disability contributed $1.2 million for a new elevator and other accessibility improvements, including upgrading the ramp at the entrance. And the center is a, is a great resource that provides a number of health services to the community. Um, uh, elevators are not cheap, so keep that in mind. Um, uh, moving on, uh, we have some, excuse me, we have some local legislative updates. Um, The first one is the Accessible Business Entrance Program, or ABE, uh, which is the Department of Building Inspections Program that compels places of public accommodation to provide an accessible entrance to their establishment or document uh, an exception as allowed per regulations. Um, So with the ABE, the Board of Supervisors um, passed an an ordinance file, Number 210934. If anybody's interested, uh, the ordinance was amending the building code to extend the time for meeting the requirements of the program by approximately two years, and that was passed November 2nd and is awaiting the mayor breeds signature. So that was that's a big deal. Um, I was kind of involved in that process, and like this is like supposed to be the, the last straw, like this is it once. You know, once you're not in conformance, the hammer drops, so to speak. Um, So and then another ordinance uh, was file number 211022. And that was an ordinance amending the park code, which uh, authorized SFMTA, the Municipal Transportation, Transportation Agency, excuse me, to set rates at the Golden Gate Park Underground Parking Facility. Uh, which is subject to the Board of Supervisors approval for the, for any change. Uh, the ordinance was passed on November 17th on the first reading. And uh, within that ordinance, there are other additional amendments that don't really pertain to, to MOD uh, per se, um, but the big one was the change uh, to the rate setting of the underground parking facility. And to kind of segue into that, um, I have some other updates. Uh, We have the JFK Drive closure, everybody's favorite topic. Um, Rec and Park has been working on the JFK Drive closure, and they have been devoting some time to the bus and shuttle program. There's some focus on that a lot uh, in addition to the other things. And this is really important. I want to announce that they are also providing a survey for input on the closure of JFK Drive. Um, The public can take the survey by visiting the Golden Gate Park Access and Safety Program website. And I'll give you the shortened version of the web address here. So write this down if you can. It, it, this is, it, the address is www.bit.ly forward slash three that's the number three, the numeral. A B R C capital G, capital K. It's case sensitive, so you do need to put that in there. I'll tell you, I'll give it one more time. W dot B-I-T dot L Y forward slash the number three A B R C capital G capital K. Once you're on the website, if you scroll down a bit, there's a feedback link in the menu field on the right. If you click on that, it will take you to a page where you can select the quote, take our survey here link, which takes you to the survey page. Uh, The survey closes November 25th at midnight Pacific Standard Time. So that's... um, that's Wednesday at midnight. Uh, so if you want your voice heard, I highly encourage you to take the survey. Um, and finally, just final note on this, uh, even if this, even after the survey closes, engagement and communication will continue through the winter. So it's, it's very important if you want to have your voice heard um, to fill out that survey. Okay, uh, and moving on to the COIT, which is the Committee on Information Technology Um, The committee approved a new digital accessibility and inclusion standard on November 18th. Uh, This standard applies to all digital services and web content made available to the public. And it requires San Francisco to follow the web content accessibility guidelines of the World Wide Web Consortium. Excuse me. MOD will be involved in implementation for making digital content, such as reports and documents accessible, and will also be involved in making sure that San Francisco's procurement uh, practices result in the purchase of accessible IT. Um, Thank you, Debbie, for that. Um, And Department of Elections, uh, MOD collaborated with the Department of Elections at a meeting of the uh, Voting Accessibility Advisory Committee about the design of ballot drop-off boxes. And then I have just a general announcement. Um, The Lighthouse Vaccine Clinic, which is at 1155 Market, uh, and their home Vax program. um, November vaccine booster and flu shot clinics for people with disabilities is at SF Lighthouse for the Blind building on four Tuesdays. Okay, that's from November 23rd to December 14th. Each vaccination clinic runs between 1 and 4 p.m. And to register for the vaccination clinic, people will first need to make an appointment by calling uh, the Vaccine Call Center at 628-652-2700. Again, to make an appointment with the Lighthouse for the Blind Vaccine Call Center, please call 628-652-2700. And... Uh, The mayor, um, the last item I have uh, was that the mayor sent out a press release the other day um, about, I believe it's uh, housing, HSA uh, is overseeing a program to give out 5,500 turkeys for Thanksgiving. Uh, Unfortunately, um, there wasn't a link or any other information. It was just a a press release out there. So I I would encourage people to kind of dig in if they can. Uh, SCOUR HSA's website to find out if they have uh, any information on um, these uh, turkey handouts. And lastly, I just want to thank the MOD staff for all the hard work they do behind the scenes and wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. And that concludes the director's report for this month. Thank you.
0: Wonderful. This is Orchid Sasuni here, council member and co-chair today. Thank you again. Um, If you'd like to see the link, that it would be at sfgov.org slash forward slash MDC slash WHAT forward slash what's new WHATS dash N-E-W. Thank you. Thank you so much, John, for the great report. Oh, you're welcome. And moving on to the next item, I believe we're at number nine now, which would be general public comments. Iman, uh, as the clerk, can you please open the meeting for general public comments?
1: Yes. So at this time, uh, members of the public can make general public comment. Um, can can address the Council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the Council that are not on the meeting agenda. Um, And each member of the public will have three minutes to make their comment. The Brown Act forbids the Council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. So I would like to remind the public that you can Indicate that you would like to make public comment by clicking on the raise hand option within the Zoom webinar platform. You can also indicate that you would like to make public comment by um, typing in the Q&A box um, and notifying us that you'd like to be recognized or by typing your public comment into the box to be read by the clerk. If you're calling in by phone, you can indicate that you'd like to make public comment by dialing star nine and you'll be prompted when it's your turn to speak. And I see we have at least one public commenter at this time. Uh, Will, you've been permitted to unmute.
2: Hi, this is William Railing for Accessible San Francisco again. I I just wanted to muse, M-U-S-E, muse for a moment on the status of accessibility as a civil right Compared to other civil rights, Um, I think especially under uh, in the COVID crisis, it's been very informative to see that you know people who would never advocate um, suspending a civil right uh, if it regards um, racial equality or uh, gender equality um or any other civil right seem to have no problem with arguing that somehow it's okay to quote unquote temporarily um suspend accessibility as a civil right um and that's really sad i think that you know the the world has progressed there's been great progress but um you know as the covid crisis starts to uh To peter out, um, I do think I'm left with the uh, belief that there is still much work to be done for the the world to understand that accessibility is a civil right that is every bit as important um, as any other civil right. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. Are there comments from the public?
1: I do not see any other members of the public who've indicated uh, that they would like to make public comment at this time.
0: Okay, that's great. Um, So then I think we'll move on to the next agenda item, number 10, which is an information item. So this would be asking the clerk to read any correspondence received by the MOD in the past month. Iman, is there any correspondence to be read? Letters, emails, and the like?
1: Uh, Yes. So um, for leading up to this MDC meeting, we did receive correspondence from members of the public. And we received um, 196 emails from members of the public who were expressing their displeasure and disappointment with the de Young Museum's stance on not supporting the current closure of JFK Drive and encouraging them to reconsider their position. These members of the public shared concerns about safety um, if cars were to return to the area and cited information that before the pandemic, JFK Drive was a high injury corridor and that 75% of car traffic was for commuters cutting through the park. And um, that was the main subject of the only subject of correspondence that we received for this meeting.
0: I see, thank you so much, Iman. So i I'm not seeing any further correspondence um, at this time. I think we're at uh, item number 11, which is a discussion item. Are there any council members who have any comments or announcements?
5: Yes, it's Alex. I just want to say thank you very much for this, all stuff, and for the interpreters, and for you all good. Um, it's Thanksgiving next week, so I just want to give thanks to you guys, and I hope you guys. I would have a um, happy Thanksgiving.
0: Thank you so much, Alex. I'm wondering if there's any other council members who have any more comments or announcements at this time. I would also like to let you know that the city has been facing a very tough situation in the public pedestrian areas. I know that there's a lot of um, uh, E-Works and um, temporary, um, sca- sc- oh, excuse me, electric scooters. There's been issues with electric scooters. Excuse me, the interpreter uh, correcting that there. With, there's been a massive issue with e-scooters and mos- motorized scooters on public sidewalks. It's a very serious problem. Our sidewalks were not designed for technology of that speed. And I think uh, this impacts people in with a variety of disabilities, deaf, deaf-blind people, blind people using canes, people with other mobility issues. And I just want to uh, let the public uh, know that we are out there. You need to be mindful. And uh, the sidewalk is not a, a, a raceway. And moving, in, uh, moving through the sidewalk or pedestrian spaces uh, there are people who will not be able to see you or hear you or move aside uh, for you coming. This, the sidewalks were designed for pedestrian speed and not for motorized vehicles. There's been injuries that have happened, and I hope that we can all be mindful of people using that uh, and keep the safe uh, the sidewalks safe for public use. Um, So seeing no more further comments from council members or other individuals, I just want everyone to be safe, have a wonderful holiday, be vaccinated if you like, wear your masks and we'll see you again in the coming year, January 2022. Have a wonderful holiday uh, from next week through the uh, rest of December, however you participate. And I would ask that the uh, council uh, members, staff members and MOD uh, staff members I uh, just stay a minute afterwards. Thank you all for your support and attendance. The meeting is, is adjourned now at 3.35. Can I get a, a, a motion, or sorry, may I get a motion for adjournment? It's 3.35.
4: I move to adjourn. This is Helen.
0: It's taken. second. Wonderful. Seeing uh, that motion moved and seconded, I want to uh, wrap up that officially adjourn the meeting at 3.35. We'll see you in January 22 for our next meeting. Remember, the third Friday of every month from 1 to 4 will be our meeting time. Thank you so much.
4: Thanks, Orchid. Thanks, everyone.